Hi, and welcome to Ace Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Matt Kawahara, and today our guest is former A's pitcher Dan Straley, who spent the 2020 season in South Korea pitching for the Lotte Giants at the KBO. We'll talk to Dan about his experience in Korea during the pandemic-altered season, how he improved and regained his confidence as a pitcher there, and why he brought a gong into the Giants' dugout at one point. Well, Dan, thanks a lot for joining us today. Um, so you're uh, recently back from South Korea where you spent this season pitching for the uh, the Lotte Giants of the KBO and um, had a lot of success there, 15-4, uh, with a 2.50 ERA, 206 strikeouts. Um, Ace fans will remember you pitching in Oakland from uh, 2012 to 14 uh, before going on to pitch for a few other teams in the majors, uh, 14 wins for the Reds in, in 2016. Um, I guess to start, uh, 2019 was a bit of a difficult season, I guess, for you here in the U.S. Uh, how did you eventually make the decision to, to go overseas and, uh, and pitch in the KBO? Uh, the decision really kind of made itself. Um, I played the entire 2019 season. I found out afterwards I played it with the torn meniscus and was trying to figure out why my mechanics were weird, why everything felt weird. Um, you know, just being told that, like, hey, you know, you're fine there's nothing wrong. And then at the end of the year, getting an MRI being like enough's enough and find out I played the whole year with torn meniscus. Uh, like I needed to go show somewhere that I didn't lose it, that I was I'm still a really good pitcher. And that um, I got really lucky with choosing to go to the KBO and I did given the whole COVID season of, of 2020. So it really, the decision, I wasn't really, it wasn't like I had a bunch of choices. Like you said, it was coming off a bad year, finished with the, with the meniscus cleanup and yeah, there wasn't like a whole bunch of suitors knocking at my door. So when Lotte came calling, there was a couple teams in Korea that I got to choose from, and uh, it all just kind of kind of came came together at the the last minute there, right before I signed. Did you have any, uh, I guess, familiarity either with uh, with the KBO or or with South Korea, or um, maybe from I guess past teammates or any other players that you knew of, or was this all pretty new to you? I mean, I knew some guys that had gone over there. I played with guys that had gone over there before. Um, so I called people. I called and texted people. I talked to Seth Frankoff. I talked to Josh Limblom. I talked to uh, who else? There's a couple other guys I talked to that had been spent a couple years or a year. I tried to talk to people that had a good year, people that had bad years. Just tried to get like a perception of like what it was about. And part of it too that helps is my agent had gone to high school in Korea. Okay. So I had a little bit of you know just a lot of insight from him, and he'd sent a lot of players. Um, over to Korea, Eric Thames, Merrill Kelly, they, the list goes on and on. I believe there's like around 40 players they've sent there recently. Um, and so it's just kind of like they've, that situation was kind of common for them where they were used to sending players over there. So I uh, wasn't really familiar with it at all, but when it all came down to the wire of trying to figure out what, uh, you know, where to go, what team to go to, it was pretty easy for, for him to explain to me what kind of I was getting ready to walk into, even though I found out later that nothing can really prepare you for walking into uh, a clubhouse where you don't speak the language and a culture that you don't understand yet and, and so on and so forth. But I felt like I was pretty prepared when I, when I left America back in January. How did you prepare? For like the uh, culture stuff? Yeah, just for the, the overall move, for the culture stuff. Uh, did you try to learn any of the language beforehand or how, how did you get and get ready for that? I No, I just went. I just went like there was I, I focused on baseball I knew I'd have a translator um, I knew there'd be a few people that spoke English and I knew that I would adapt I've walked into plenty of new clubhouses in my life 
walked into plenty of uncomfortable situations and uh prepared wise they the Lotte had sent us like a, a, a huge like 90 page like pdf file of what to expect what's different about the kbo here's some cultural things here's some baseball things here's where you'll be living here's the type of food like they try to like prepare you a little bit but um at the end of the day like i'm glad they did but at the end of the day you just gotta go you just gotta go do it and and just go live it and experience it yeah what uh what was your goal i guess going over there um obviously you signed the one-year deal as i understand it if you go over uh first year you have it has to be on a one-year deal um but what was your i guess um personal goals and and your goals for yourself as a pitcher going over and and pitching in in korea my goal going over was to be the best go over there to be the mvp be the cy young be the best pitcher in korea and come back to the states i mean that's the ultimate goal and yeah when you go over there you can only sign a one-year one million dollar deal is the max contract you can sign your first year going over and then they have other stipulations uh after that but that first year that's the deal and when you become a free agent, like you're not a free agent in all of the KBO, you're just that team can sign you or you can sign back internationally. Um, but they, uh, my goal is just to like be the best pitcher in Korea. And I didn't know what that meant. I knew that I was coming off a bad year. And so I just found a couple things to work on in my game. And we really focused in on that. I ended up changing three of my pitches and ended up becoming a different pitcher in a sense and, and getting back to the strikeout form that. I'm quite frankly just kind of accustomed to in my career. Yeah, I'd like to ask you about some of the changes that you made. But I mean, first of all, I mean, you you get over there, and pretty soon after you arrive, um, obviously the the, the pandemic uh, hits, and um, and as I understand, your your family was still here in the U.S., um, so you are kind of over there, sort of on your own, trying uh, trying to sort of navigate this situation. Um, how 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 long had you been in South Korea when uh, when some of the shutdowns started to happen and and what was that I guess initial uncertainty like where you guys weren't sure when or if a season was going to start up um, how did you navigate that situation? For sure, I was. We actually got stuck in uh, Australia for spring training for a couple extra weeks. Huh. Um, I think four and a half weeks turned into seven with uh, with how we were supposed to get back to Korea because when we were supposed to go back to South Korea is right when they went to their countrywide shutdown, their countrywide quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was by myself, my family was back here in the States. And at this point in time, South Korea was like the hotbed for, for coronavirus in the world. And we were just like, Oh my gosh, like why I'm going into this country. That's like, it's terrifying. I don't speak the language. I don't know the culture. And they have this, the, the fastest rising rates of this thing called the coronavirus. And I was just like, okay, good thing about myself and I'll take my family a part of this and you know as soon as I got there that's when it hit hard here in the states Mm -hmm. and that was when now my family was in lockdown here in the states and it kind of became impossible for them to come out to Korea you don't want to travel with if you don't have to right you don't you're trying to avoid it if you can traveling across the world and then sitting for two weeks in a hotel room before they could come and join me just didn't really sound like a good idea for anybody. Sure. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they just, it was, it was definitely the hardest part about this summer. It wasn't the culture, wasn't the baseball, wasn't anything else. It was being away from Amanda and Jackson for what ended up being like nine months and four days. Yeah. Did you, um, I guess, did you have any sort of 
second thoughts in that kind of in-between period where you don't know exactly maybe when the season's going to be starting up and, and like you said you're kind of going into this new situation that has this extra level of uncertainty now um, with the with the pandemic were there any kind of questions at that point about whether this had been a good idea no at, at that point MLB was shut down and um, there I was sitting in a situation where I was knew I was going to get to play a baseball season um, you know I didn't know I was going to end up throwing 200 innings but I knew I was going to you know pitch in a full baseball season and, uh, and and at that point I was just grateful to be in that situation we had a start date originally that was five days later than opening day. Then it was two weeks. Then it was three weeks, and it ended up being uh, ended up being just over a month uh, delayed. But I knew we were going to get a season in. And when you're an athlete trying to prove that you haven't lost anything, that you're still a dominant pitcher, that's what you need. Is you just need to compete. And the way the world works now, it's like I wasn't too concerned with all that other stuff because it doesn't matter who I was facing because everywhere professionally speaking has Stockman has ways to quantify what you're doing on the mound and so I was just excited to have a chance to pitch in these innings and I knew we were going to be a little delayed but I knew it was going to be better off than it would be here in the states in terms of workload and in terms of, of how long a season I would actually get to participate in yeah, I was, that was going to be my next question, was that you're going into this uh, this league where a lot of the, obviously the hitters are new um, how much of it was Similar, I guess, how, how much were you able to kind of just, you know, carry the pitching experience, uh, the familiarity with pitching itself that you know of over into this new league? Or, and how much of an adjustment was it for you to get to know new hitters, I'm sure, um, new stadiums, everything like that? What was your just approach to joining this new league? Well, I used Codify, which is a, a, essentially like a, a scouting service. Uh, it's actually right there in the Bay Area. Okay. Um, and so we used Codify. So I wasn't worried about where to throw to, where to throw to hitters or learning hitters because ever since Codify was developed, you know, I don't even know how many years ago it was. Still, it was 2016 with the Reds was the first year we started working on it. Huh. Um, now that it's a thing, it like you don't have to worry about who the hitter is. You just have to know their maps. And so, like, I was going into this situation where I didn't know anybody, but all I had to do was look at my Codify data and see where to throw these guys. And anyway, I'd be fine. Uh -huh. And so I wasn't too concerned about that. I was more concerned about, like, what's a, what's, what's a good sequencing here? Like, in the States, like, if you're going to face a really good hitter, you typically would try to save maybe your best pitch or what you perceive as your best pitch um, to that guy for, like, a, a situation where – maybe runners in scoring position or something like that. So trying to figure out what, you know, how many, like, should I be saving those pitches for certain people? Should I be, like, that was more like more like a pitching style adjustment. Um, once I learned that just go execute, just go trust your stuff, just go execute, and you're going to be just fine. Like, no matter what I was doing, if I was executing, I was good to go. Um, that was, took me a couple starts. I think I was, like, three or four starts in, um, and I had two good ones, two meh ones, and then I was like, it all kind of started a, a click where I was like, okay, like if I just do this, this, and this, I'll be just fine. And that was, and I just that was kind of it. I, at this point, I was like one and two in the season, and obviously you saw that I finished, or you said that I finished, what was it fifteen and four? So I lost two more games in my next twenty-one or twenty-seven starts. I lost two games in my final twenty-seven starts, yeah. and won won fourteen of those ball games. And it was just a matter of, of uh, figuring out pretty quickly what pitching sequencing style I needed to use in Korea, which was ended up being just a lot of sliders and a lot of fastballs for me. Huh. Um, 
I mean, at the end of the season, like I told you, I'd, I'd made adjustments on my pitches. At the end of the season, I basically added a new pitch, which was a more consistent version of my changeup. And it was basically, it wasn't like I really changed much. It was just a very small adjustment. But it was like all of a sudden now I was a different pitcher on the mound because I was throwing a ton of changeups instead of a ton of sliders. So, so it was just kind of that, that I was facing some teams five and six times up there at the end of the season. It was just, uh, it was important to, to have that, that extra pitch to mix in. Yeah, so uh, you said uh, I think it was three pitches that you either overhauled or at least changed while you were over there. What, uh, w- which were those uh, three, and, and what, how did you kind of make those changes? Were, were there things that were suggested to you? Were there things that you were just trying to tinker with or things that you maybe picked up from some of the other pitches that you, uh, that you were with there? So a little bit of both or a little bit of all of that, not both, a little bit of all of that. Um, I used technology, Edutronic and Repsoto, to move my thumb on my fastball and a very small tweak like that, and I was averaging 25 or 2,600 RPMs on my fastball, and, and that was up from, like, 2,400. So that was a big increase just by moving my thumb, getting it out of the way a little bit without getting too technical. I was just noticed I was – it was kind of clipping the ball a little awkwardly at the end of my release, and all of a sudden move it a little bit, and I'm spinning the ball much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um my changeup, similar concept, same camera, same system, and my index finger, I just kind of pulled it back and got it out of the way. It was, uh, again, I was clipping the ball at an untimely spot that was making it inconsistent. And, um, you know, I've always been told my changeup was my best pitch by analytical people, but when I can't command it and can't control it, it it's no good. Like, it's that's not the point. Like, it's it might have the best movement when it's on, but it just wasn't on enough. And so I made this adjustment with my index finger and my thumb on the on the changeup, and it just all of a sudden I had the same, very close to the same action, but I almost could almost put it where I wanted it every single time. Huh. And then the third pitch that I changed was I went to a kid on our team, uh, Samuel Park, and just like, like, dude, your curveball is nasty. How do you hold that? And we had a very long spring training. And so I had a lot of opportunity to just go in there and work on this pitch and really focus on trying to, to actually have a fourth quality pitch. I'd always thought that my curveball was more double a material than it was major league material, but I didn't know how to work on that. I didn't know how to fix that. So I found this grip from him and, and it just became comfortable repetition, repetition. And before you know it, um, at the end of the season, I threw like 350 of them. I was throwing them for strikeouts. I was throwing them. Oh, oh, I was throwing them anytime. And that was a big, a big game changer for me as well. So it wasn't just that I came into this situation and like planned on changing these things. I was just open. I came into this with an opening of like an open mindset of like, Jen, I'm going to Korea because something wasn't working. Let's go work on everything. Let's go become a better pitcher. Let's go become a better athlete. Let's go become a better person. Let's go become just every single aspect of this game. And let's go work on those things. And it just worked out well. And I think I just got maybe a little lucky that I chose the right things to fix and change. Um, but just a, a never, never satisfied kind of mentality and constantly being open to people's ideas on how to, how to become better, I think, has helped me a lot this last year. We'll be back with more with Dan Straley right after this. And remember, you can access all of our A's coverage and much more with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. That's sfchronicle.com slash pod. 
what do you feel like you either learned about yourself, maybe as a pitcher, or, or where do you feel like you improved the most? Well, first of all, my confidence is sky high. That's the biggest thing about this game of pitching, or this game, but pitching specifically. It's just mm-hmm. pitching with confidence. I got over there and just got to work, and once I got going, confidence and, and just started just creeping up and up and up, and then ability started shining through. And I really felt that putting those two things together, like just having the confidence in myself to go back there. And, and because when I say like I had to go prove to the baseball community that I still had it, that I was still an elite pitcher, I had to prove that to myself too. Like mm-hmm. I felt that, but coming off of 2019, that's not a season I'm proud of. Like that's just not, there's nothing about that that was, that was to be proud of. And so I was like coming off of that, I knew that I needed to, to, to get to work and figure out how to change things. Um, and so I've always been pretty open, but coming over there and then just like having that immense confidence that I'm standing here talking to you now with on the mound versus when I left. And it goes back to this kind of mindset from Gil Patterson I learned early on in my young age days, which was expecting outs, don't hope for outs, expect it. And I felt like by the time 2019 ended, I was hoping for outs. And by the end of the season this last year, I was expecting everybody to get, I was expecting strikeouts. I was expecting outs. I was like more pissed off at myself. If I gave up a hit than anything else, like not even a run, not even, but that was even worse. But I was like, just like, just like the expectation I had on myself was so high that like, it was just like reminding me like, that's the confidence that I've always pitched with. That's the mindset I've always had on the mound. And when I lost that in 19, it just took me a little bit of time to find it. But once I got it back, I could just feel the difference. I'd like to ask you also a little bit of just kind of about the um, the overall experience. I mean, you're over there for for a season, uh, pretty much. Well, what were the um, what were the game atmospheres like? I mean, here, of course, you, you, they you know they played this uh, this 60 game season with mostly empty stadiums. Um, you know the cardboard cutouts of the fans, uh, piped-in crowd noise and everything. Uh, what, what were the game atmospheres like there? Was it was it similar at all? Did you talk to guys who were here and kind of compare um, what you were going through? Um, no, I didn't, actually, I didn't talk to guys over here, okay. as weird as that sounds. I I tried to just focus on myself and not – and the time change made that much more difficult than it sounds. There's only a few hours a day that you're on the same uh, – even awake as the people in the, in the States. Mm-hmm. But uh, – seeing it on tv um it was constantly in our clubhouse like they always had every single day was some some replayed condensed game that was going on tv and so i definitely saw those and watched those cardboard cutouts we had that not at our stadium but at other stadiums um but we also got fans part of the year which was nice we had about 40 games with fans it was about 20 20 25 games uh in the middle of the season and then we had about a month back to zero fans and then we had um, the last like 15 or so games we had fans again. So that was nice. Um, but so we got 40 games with fans, but it was just boring. But the one thing that makes Korean baseball so different than baseball here is that we have, we had cheer squads. And okay. so like the cheer master, they have a song and this guy just doesn't stop dancing, doesn't stop singing, doesn't stop making noise the entire time the home team is hitting. And it was, something it was energy in the stadium like seriously and i remember before this before we even got fans i was like all these people are, are singing and dancing and everybody's 
doing their thing. And then I'm like, I don't understand this. And then we got fans and like everybody in the stadium was doing the same dance, doing the same cheer for these people. And uh, it just kind of really started showing me like the energy that they have, that they bring. Um, so that overall experience was way different than expected. It was so welcome to give in this quiet, quiet stadium. Yeah. Um, our stadium was actually kind of comparable to the Coliseum. Um, like, there was no, like, overhangs, like, over the top. It was just a big bowl. And it actually had, like, a lot of the same kind of characteristics, except for the fact that it could only hold, like, 26,000 people. Okay. It was just, like, a smaller version of it. But, um, like, it was just, like, just this big, giant bowl. And when uh, it's, like, when we got a couple, just a little bit of fans in there just clapping and making some noise, it really was a lot of fun to have that energy from them. So, I think if anything, this year just really showed ball players how much we love fans and lean on fans and enjoy just their energy they bring to games. Like how important that really truly is. Yeah, that's interesting. There were, there were several uh, A's players who, who said that same thing throughout the season, even early on. I think uh, Chris Bassett, and pitcher, another pitcher, was one of the first guys to to note that is like we really took fans. I think he what he, his actual words were: "We took fans for granted." Um, yeah, and it was, it was uh, really I think echoed throughout the year. Um, there was here there were, there was a lot of focus uh, throughout the season on, um, on the protocols that teams had to follow when whether it was testing or um, travel protocols, staying in hotel rooms, not being able to really go out very much, um, even at the field distancing in the dugouts and uh, masking rules and everything like that. How did how did the the KBO handle that? Were there strict protocols on you guys as well, or did you have to do any of that kind of stuff? So life in Korea right now is basically life is normal okay. with a mask on. So we didn't have many. We There are certain times we were asked to not leave hotels. Um, but the, that was just during like waves, you know, ups, like peaks and valleys of, of the, the virus cases going on in the country over there. But no, we took our temperature every day when we first got to the field. Um, that was the security guards entering the field. And if you were under, they used 99 degrees, which is, seems kind of crazy to us to think about. But I just, if you had, if you were 99 degrees, they were taking a deeper look into your health that day. Huh. You know, for, I was never in a, over 99, so I don't know, or I would never even was 99. So I don't even know what the protocols would have been for that, mm. but I just know how seriously they're taking it. The, the hotels, um, you know, some of the stuff just didn't make sense to me where like you could order food from like, like your, your food delivery apps, which are probably one of the best parts about Korea. You can get anything delivered to you anywhere you are. It's amazing, but you can order these food and, but you can't order room service. And I was like, I don't understand the logic, but I'll go with it. Uh, so they had a couple of situations like that where, you know, you're just kind of stuck and when you're trying to find Western food and in, in South Korea, sometimes it can be a little tough, but there's usually on the, on one of those apps you can find something. So we had that. Um, we didn't really need to leave. We didn't get to be tourists on days off because of, of the virus. We had one day where uh, we went out and, you know, the, all three foreigners on our team, we just kind of avoided crowds, but we went and did a little sightseeing, and that was really cool. But the protocols at the hotels and stuff, like, there's really nothing to, to share. It was pretty much life as normal, except you wear a mask everywhere you go. Um, were you, did you were you able to kind of get to know and, and get um, uh, close with any of your teammates uh, over the course of the season? Obviously, going in there and and uh, you said you had a translator. I think probably you know didn't really know too much of the language. But what was the what was the team aspect like? Um, first of all, one thing I learned is that those guys 
you know, a lot more English than I expected. A lot more. Um, I was very comfortable with, I would say, 90% of my team just speaking English to them. Okay. And if I, if I used, like, too big of words or spoke too quickly, then I would have to go get my translator. But other than that, like, if you just kind of, especially if you're talking baseball, like, it was easy to talk. Um, and they really helped out with that. So because of that, I did get to know quite a few guys and develop, I guess, is with, with the language barrier still being a thing. So, you know, develop the best relationships I could with them. And uh, it was just a lot of, it was fun. It was fun to see some of these guys, some of these superstars in Korea, um, to get to know them. Our team was pretty uh, veteran heavy. And so I had some, some pretty, uh, pretty big Korean baseball names on my team. And so that was really fun to get to know these guys and see, like how, how they uh, get treated as superstars over there. That was pretty fun. Um, but nothing uh, nothing too crazy. You know, got invited to one wedding, um, but I think he invited everybody. And uh, and I won't, we won't be able to make it because we got the two-week quarantine over there. But, you know, sure. wish him all the best. But uh, definitely uh, got to know guys as best as I could because they were all the family I had for nine months. They were all the only ones I would see every day. And so uh, I knew that, you know, it's time to time to get to know other people and I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot about their culture. I learned a lot how things are done and I found a lot of it so intriguing and uh, just, it was really glad that I, I took the time to get to know them for sure. Yeah. I read a couple of uh, stories that said you, you really caught on with that, with some of the fans and, and actually tried to bring out like some of the fun aspects with teammates as well, like making t-shirts uh, with pictures on oh, yeah. them, <laughs> everything like that. How was that received and, and what was kind of the, the reasoning, the goal behind that? Um, it was so boring that I got bored. That's really like, it's really that simple. Uh, it was like really, really quiet. Um, our team just had like no energy and it's just like, it's like almost, it almost comes off as like fake cheering from the dugout day after day after day. So I just finally like bought these like clappers on, on the Korean version of like Amazon and I waited until I got them all, and I literally just walked in like the second inning of the game. I walked back, grabbed them, walked back out to the dugout and just handed them out to each guy. And I handed one to my manager, and he looks at me like, what the heck is this? And I I started clapping it, and he just erupted in laughter. And it became, like, our team's thing for, like, two weeks before the KBO took him away from us. Um, And then we didn't hit a home run for a couple weeks. And so I bought a gong, which is, like, a celebratory thing in Korea. And so I bought this this pretty decent-sized gong and told the guys before the game, like, hey, if anyone hits a homer, you get to celebrate by hitting the gong tonight. And I was pitching this game too. And uh, we hit two homers that night. And those guys, it was so much fun to watch these guys do it. And again, the KBO took that away from me as well. But uh, we didn't end up signing. I had the whole team sign the gong, and I gave it to our manager for his uh, first year as a manager. Nice. Um, just gave that to him. And so that was kind of fun. But we just had this, and the T-shirts were just uh it was a uh, one of our most serious guys on our team he barely talks doesn't ever say a word real young guy and uh, he's our starting catcher and like he was just a hymn during the national anthem and we just made this shirt because it was just like this like we called it classic jt like he was just just so serious all the time and he was just so serious during the anthem and so we took a, took the picture and, and and put it on his uh on a t-shirt and just put him in his locker and all the foreigners were wearing it around and ended up being the team ended up making these t-shirts and selling them to the fans. They sold like thousands of these shirts to the fans. And they did like a giveaway night with all the clappers to the fans when we got fans in the game. And then they made a t-shirt and they sold a t-shirt of me wearing the Junte t-shirt. Like it was a, it was just like, they just kept going. 
so it was a lot of fun. It was fun to be uh, uh, kind of making up some of these things as we go and just trying to have fun with my teammates. And it turned into uh, much bigger than it would have turned into anything over here had, had a player done something like that. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to that. You say you guys went. It really was. You say you guys went several two weeks without hitting a home run. It was something like that, like twelve games, two weeks. That's which very. That's not like KBO, U.S. at all. The, the KBO is such like a feast or famine, home run type thing. I don't get it. Like there was times like we hit, we'd hit like there'd be like games you'd hit nine between both teams. There'd be like nine homers hit, and then the next day, or then we went on a two week stretch of like no homers. Um, but like it just kind of happens. There's one ballpark there that's pretty tough to hit homers in, and then there's eight ballparks that like I felt like I could have hit a homer in. Um, and like most of it's just, you know, the, the ballparks are small. They have tall fences, but high fly balls are homers. And, um, it just kind of, yeah, we very, um, very on MLB like with, uh, with the two weeks home homer drought. Very. Yeah. Um, uh, what's, uh, what was your, I mean, in retrospect, looking back on it now, what was just your favorite part of this whole experience or how much, it sounds like it was just a lot of fun. All the lessons learned. Like, I know that sounds really like weird but i really did enjoy learning culture and seeing all this kind of stuff um i feel like i got through this summer by myself over there without my family and it just showed me that like hey i can do anything for a short period of time like nothing's impossible Mm -hmm. but just mission accomplished man like that was my favorite part about this this whole thing i guess so let me rephrase that was just accomplishing everything i set out to accomplish lessons learned along the way really are a major part of that but i guess yeah like having just succeeded in, in in our in our grand plan if you will of going over there and having success yeah when did you get back to the u.s halloween halloween okay yeah. and since then have you just kind of been uh relaxing is what are the do you have off-season uh kind of plans laid out or um are you, are oh, really, we're, already, we're already back in the gym okay um yeah we're already working seth brown the uh outfielder there in oakland mm-hmm. he's uh he works with me and him or and Kyle Higashi from the Yankees, and all three of us live here in Central Oregon. And uh, so we we work out uh, four days a week together. They they hit together. Three we throw together. So we're just really all kind of up and rolling um, with the off season stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't have a don't have a team yet, but I think that uh, all those kind of things are for the agents and the teams to figure out, and it'll get ironed out. I'm not too worried about that. Is there any thought of the potential of pitching in Korea again, or, or where do you stand there? I think there has to be potential thought for that because we don't even know what baseball is going to look like here next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just really, I don't have an answer yet. I think I'll have an answer very shortly as to what, what my season is going to look like next year, but, or where that's going to be at. But right now, you know, I'm, I just got my clock switched over from 16 hours back to U S time. Um, my son still doesn't let me leave his site. Like they're just, it's just so happy to be home and, while I think about these things, um, you know, guys are just now starting to sign over here. Guys are just now starting to sign in Korea. So um, we'll figure it out soon. But uh, those are conversations that uh, you know, we'll be having with my agent and, as we move forward here. But, yeah, I'm not shy about it. I have – I want to pitch in the big leagues. Like, that's not that's not even a, a, a question. Even. It's, it's no problem saying that as loud as possible. And I, I, when I went to Korea, like I've, I've said, I didn't know if it was going to be one year, two years, three years. But I know I have a lot of years left to give this game. And so, uh, you know, if I have to go back there for one more year, then so be it. But if there's an opportunity for your stateside, I'll be taking those. So it's just kind of uh, just waiting it out to see 
see what happens here in the next few weeks. We'll keep an eye on it as well. For now, I hope you can uh, enjoy sort of much, much deserved off season here. Um, Dan Strelly, thank you very much for uh, for joining us today on A's Plus. Really enjoyed it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Our thanks again to Dan Strelly for joining us on A's Plus. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. If you're interested in hearing more about Dan's season in Korea, Dan launched his own podcast earlier this year that covers a bunch of baseball-related topics, including his experiences in the KBO and at his previous Major League stops. It's called The Journeyman Podcast, and it can be found on Twitter and other streaming services. We'll be back here again soon with more on A's Plus. Thanks for listening.